Welcome to Hold the Helm, the podcast for bite-sized history and civics. I'm Natalie. And I'm Cassie. We're sharing a historical perspective on topics. Thanks for joining us this week. Let's get started. So February is Black History Month here in the United States, and we thought it would be interesting to talk a little bit about the history of that and some important events in Black history in the United States and even what's going on currently. So where did Black History Month come from? Black History Month became an officially recognized national observance in 1976 when Gerald Ford proclaimed it. And it it kind of began earlier than that, as early as 1915. Carter Woodson, he is known as the father of Black history, created an organization called the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History. And so that kind of began as here's a few days where we're going to study Black history. And then it, it kind of has changed and grown to now a full month. A professor from Texas A&M University, Albert Broussard explained that we celebrate Black History Month in February because Black people had traditionally celebrated the birthdays of Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass, both of whom were born in the month of February. So that's kind of a little bit of background. Where did it come from? Why do we celebrate it? And then Natalie is going to get us rolling on what are some really important events in Black history in America. Starting right after the Civil War in the Reconstruction era, we see this divide in our country of part of the population championing freed slaves and black rights and wanting former slaves to be able to vote and be able to live their lives and freedom and also a part of the population mainly in the south that they wanted to hold on to the old ways that wanted to keep freed slaves from being able to accomplish things in society and to gain rights. So that was a very stark divide. There was an effort to help freed slaves have the ability to learn how to read, have a job, perhaps even have some land. As Natalie mentioned, that time in history is called Reconstruction after the Civil War. The federal government created the Freedmen's Bureau in 1865, the year that the Civil War ended, and that was targeted towards helping freed slaves, and poor whites. However, it dissolved only seven years later when Congress disbanded it. We believe because of the pressure they were receiving from the white Southerners who were not a fan of helping the freed slaves and poor whites. Around the time when the Freedmen's Bureau was disbanded, some other things began to change. Again, reinforces just this divide we were seeing in part of the population supporting this progression towards equality and part of the population firmly opposing it. One thing that I thought was interesting as I was researching was that during Reconstruction, which is from 1865 to about 1877, over 2,000 African Americans held public office during that time from the local level all the way up to the U.S. Senate. And that's pretty much immediately after the Civil War ended. And in response to the Freedmen's Bureau and in response to freed slaves, the South enacted what we would call the Jim Crow Laws which were put in place to keep African-Americans unable to participate in, you know, day-to-day activities and not have the same freedoms as other Americans. So even though that was happening, in 1869, we have the 15th Amendment being ratified, which gives all men the right to vote, and it says that they cannot be discriminated on based on race. And then the Enforcement Acts in in 1870 and 71, codes that protected African-Americans' right to vote, to hold office, to serve on juries, and was supposed to guarantee that they received equal protection of laws. 
However, we understand that at that time, again, mostly in the South, you have these Jim Crow laws and different people that are not going to allow things like the Enforcement Acts to be in their state. So during and after World War II, we have the beginnings of the civil rights movement. We typically think of that as taking place in the 1960s, which a majority of it did. However, there were some steps um, toward equality that took place during World War II or shortly thereafter. Yeah, Cassie, for example, in 1948, so we're talking just three years after the war, we see the the desegregation of the military. And that really puts into motion this modern civil rights movement. And several decisions come out in the 1950s promoting equality. So, for example, what became known as Brown versus the Board of Education, which actually was five different cases, but they all came together under that name is basically the idea that these schools were not equal for white children and black children. And even though people had said they are separate but equal, and that term had been used to justify segregation, the court ruled that separate inherently was not equal and that schools should not be segregated. In 1955, Rosa Parks' refuses to give up her seat on a city bus when she was sitting in the, quote, colored section. But then a white passenger got on and the bus was full and the other black passengers complied when the driver asked them to get up and let these white passengers have their seats. Rosa Parks refused to get up and she was arrested. In response to that, the Montgomery bus boycott happened in which 40,000 Black people that usually rode the city bus decided that they were boycotting and many black taxi drivers and different people tried to help and get people to work in the daily life without using the public bus system in Montgomery, Alabama. So that went on actually for 381 days. So for over a year, people were boycotting the bus system in response. And they were basically, they weren't even asking for desegregated buses. They were asking just for first come first serve seating and to have a few black bus drivers hired and interestingly enough this is the time when a group of people got together and founded the Montgomery Improvement Association and I believe they elected a young Martin Luther King Jr. to be the president of that association and he then as a young pastor is getting into the leadership roles in the civil rights movement at that point The Supreme Court in 1956 ultimately decides that the city buses in Montgomery needed to desegregate. In 1957, so moving on from that, we have the the Little Rock Nine event, which was when a group of black students arrived at Central High School to begin their classes, but were instead met by the Arkansas National Guard. So the Little Rock Nine incident took place on September 3rd. On September 9th, uh, Dwight Eisenhower, President of the United States, signed the Civil Rights Act of 1957 into law. And this was the first major civil rights legislation since Reconstruction. Uh, What the Civil Rights Act of 1957 did was it allowed federal prosecution of anyone who tried to prevent someone from voting. And it created a commission to investigate voter fraud. And one of the things, Cassie, since we both taught history, I think you would agree with me that when you're learning about different movements in history, it's fun to see all the overlap that a few years later, then you see the effects and the consequences of different decisions. So just going back a moment, 1954, like we said, with the Brown versus Board of Education that decides that public schools should not be 
segregated. Then six years later, we have in 1960, the famous case of Ruby Bridges, and she is the first child to desegregate an elementary school in the South. So basically, people are gaining courage from these Supreme Court decisions But logistically and practically, those are not playing out. So these schools are still segregated. And I believe she took a test to see if she could attend the white school. But her family had decided that they were going to go ahead and follow up on this Supreme Court decision, trusting that they truly did have the rights to go to a desegregated school. And so at the age of six, she became the first elementary student to desegregate the school. And we know that there was a lot of opposition to it. You've probably seen the famous pictures of a little tiny, tiny Ruby being escorted by grown men because people are hurling insults and things at her. Yeah. It's also a good reminder too, Natalie, of just the power of of a few people standing up. I think of Rosa Parks and I think of Ruby and her family making a decision to stand up for their rights and for their freedoms and, and just the ripple effect that that has. And even when, you know, when we talked about the Little Rock Nine, like people pushing and questioning and and standing up are causing some huge effects, you know, years down the road and and like a domino effect, really. Yes. And standing up for principles and truth. Mm -hmm. There are quite a few other pretty important acts that came out in the 1960s, some of them having to do with equal employment for all, banning voter literacy tests, and preventing housing discrimination. Um, So those were all in the 1960s. And Cassie, real quick, can you explain why why voter literacy tests at that time should have been banned? So what about these voter literacy tests? On some really quick uh, research here, it says that the Voting Rights Act ended the use of literacy tests in the South in 1965 and the rest of the country in 1970. So here's a reason why that is applicable. For example, in Mississippi, applicants were required to transcribe and interpret a section of the state constitution and write an essay on the responsibilities of citizenship. Registration officials selected the questions and interpreted the answers. Effectively, they could choose who to pass and not pass. So there wasn't really a very stringent guideline on these tests and the questions, and it wasn't monitored at all. Um, So that That's one reason. Yeah, very subjective. So that's why those literacy tests were banned as a requirement for someone being allowed to vote. And in the midst of all of this in the early 1960s and 63, Martin Luther King gives his famous I Have a Dream speech calling to judge people by their character and not by their skin color. And so the ball just keeps rolling and gaining momentum in these peaceful protests and nonviolent resistance. Mm -hmm. I believe that speech, Cassie, was on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. Mm -hmm in Washington, D.C., very symbolic. And then we have, a little bit later in the 1960s, the Fair Housing Act, which prevented housing discrimination based on race, sex, national origin, or religion. And it was also the last legislation enacted during the Civil Rights era. So just really encouraging to see in, wow, in 20 years, from the end of the 40s to the end of the 60s, how really huge stepping stones to equality for all Americans. Okay, to wrap this section up, we have three modern examples of black leadership from the civil rights era all the way to today, starting with Thurgood Marshall, who was the first African-American Supreme Court justice. And his history is interesting because he was a lawyer who won 29 Supreme Court victories for civil rights starting in 1940. 
And he was actually on the winning side of Brown versus the Board of Education, that landmark case in 54 that we talked about, and continually defended civil rights demonstrators in several cases in the early 60s leading up to 67 when he becomes the first African-American appointed to the Supreme Court. And he continued to be a Supreme Court justice until the 90s, so for about 30 years. Another important black leader in the United States is Barack Obama. Prior to becoming president of the United States, he was a U.S. senator in 2004. So our 44th president of the United States, the first uh, African-American president. And he was elected president in 2008 and served two terms of office. He also became the fourth president to receive the Nobel Peace Prize. On the whitehouse.gov website, there's a, a great quote at the bottom here from former President Obama. He spoke at the 50th anniversary of the Civil Rights March from Selma to Montgomery and said, our union is not yet perfect, but we are getting closer. And that's why we celebrate, mindful that our work is not yet done. And even though Barack Obama is a very modern case, a very recent case of leadership, there is an even more recent one in Virginia, 2021. Cassie, you know a little bit more about her? Yeah, so Winsome Sears became the first black lieutenant governor of Virginia, also first black female lieutenant governor of Virginia, which is incredible to think about as Natalie and I began this this particular episode kind of talking about the Civil War and Reconstruction to think about the fact that Richmond, Virginia was the former capital of the Confederacy mm-hmm. to now have uh, a black woman in the second highest position of Virginia. She is originally from Jamaica. Her family moved here when she was six years old and she she talks about joining the Marines and kind of living the American dream and then and then eventually becoming a citizen after joining the Marines. Okay, so we hope that that was just an encouraging and fun summary of the key steps to equality and freedom in the United States. And we look forward to our next episode. Thanks for listening.